the sound of bachelorettes in Nashville. It's a sound we all know well, but this weekend, this is turning to this. Uh, ignore my nasty face. Because <laughs> daddy's getting nasty. We are in Nashville, motherfucker. Bitches. So, we just got back from brunch. We went to a drag queen brunch. Drag queen brunch. Senor Titties. Oh, Titties. I love me, sir. Titties. Hey, y'all. You love my butt. You have a cute butt. I like to have cute little. Jimmy's for bachelorette parties because it just feels like a big slumber party. It's really fun. <laughs> she couldn't decide between the rose punch and the mimosa, so she just got both. We're riding dirty. We are burning. Burn away. We burn it. We burn it. Caitlin. Caitlin. We need you. Is she even here? It's good. It's Are you even here? Yeah, I'm not fucking care about me. Yeah, she takes that. Oh my god, you're squirting. You're like a fucking girl. Look at him. Look at him take it. He's like, give me more. <laughs> oh, he just threw up. <laughs> so last night we went out, um, but I didn't take any video recording. So. But we stayed up pretty late. It was great. It was fun. Lots of cool things. Tiffany laid hands on someone and prayed for their soul. She did it. He got saved. Uh... He was so happy to see me. As soon as he was looking at my pretty face, I was looking at his. He just started whizzing everywhere. Right where Dennis is sitting. I thought it was going to be a little weird, but honestly, it gave me a sense of like joy that I haven't experienced in a while. You may not want to invite this next woman to your bachelorette party. Police arrested Alexandria Chidi in Nashville after she reportedly told police she, quote, went psycho and trashed an Airbnb after she says she drank two whole bottles of wine by herself. Corey and I ordered a drink called the Bye Felicia. Bye Felicia. <laughs> and, okay. <laughs> You are listening to Nashville Demystified, where we get to know the history, culture, and quirks of the so-called Music City one conversation at a time, or in this case, a conversation, a sound collage, and an essay. More on those shortly. I am your host, Alex Steed. Later on, we will be hearing from Missy and Aaron, two Metro Nashville public school teachers who will share their experiences as dramatically underpaid public servants. We'll also hear an essay from Honky Tonk Padonkadonk editor Jack Evan Johnson. You just heard an audio collage conceived and arranged by me and executed wonderfully by our trusty sound engineer, Jesse LaFontaine. Let's call it Bachelor and Bachelorette Party Fever Dream. This show is brought to you by Knack Factory, a content and video production company with offices here in Nashville. 
and it's distributed by We Own This Town, which is a collection of podcasts produced right here in the city. One of my favorite shows is Hot Minute, which has not had a new episode for a hot minute, huh? It features uh, two wonderful women talking about the hottest of hot pop culture garbage. And San Dimas Today, which is, I kid you not, a podcast about the Bill and Ted universe. It doesn't really matter how I ended up there, but I found myself at The Stage a few weeks back. Uh, This is a bar and venue in downtown Nashville, for those who don't know. I touched on the convoluted circumstances in my conversation with Jack and Sabelle of Honky Tonk Padonkadonk last episode. But anyway, I ran into a bride-to-be at the bar. Um, A friend of hers uh, announced, she's getting married, will you buy her a fireball shot? And so I did. And we worked our way through the crowd and I said, so are you excited to get married? And she paused for what was uh, most likely a few seconds, but it felt like a year and a half before uh, saying that, yeah, she was excited. I bought us another two shots and said, you know, it's probably not what you came here to hear, but I've been married once before and it's none of my business, but you should probably think about what that pause means if you haven't already. And we did our respective shots, laughed, and went our separate ways. The audio collage at the start of this episode is pulled from Bachelorette Party recaps I pulled from YouTube. There are a few Bachelor Parties in there as well, but videos of them are not as common as Bachelor Parties aren't as common as Bachelorette Parties here in Nashville, as I understand it. Um, There's also a few news stories in there. It seems that to be a Nashvillian and to know that the town is a major destination for bachelorette parties is to hate that it is a major destination for bachelorette parties. What the pedal taverns and party buses and other related um, sort of you know traffic monstrosities do to what is already precarious at best driving conditions uh, can make you sour on the whole thing. But since... Most Nashvillians aren't really going where the parties are happening. I try to be careful regarding, um, you know, understanding where this disdain is coming from. Um, Is it possible that some of the frustration with bachelorette parties comes from generally feeling uncomfortable about women pursuing joy? Uh, And what is a bachelorette party but a display of women foregoing men as a means of having a good time? Of course, there are other things in there that are a bit of a bummer. The concept of the, quote, last bash, you'll hear that a lot, last bash in Nash, uh, is a a phrase that exists sometimes. That's one of the issues. Um, You know, it implies that this is the last time everyone will get to party before the, quote, unquote, life sentence that is marriage begins. There's one clip at the start of this collage that's from a story you may have heard early this year where unsuspecting bachelorette parties here in the city ran up against both the NFL draft, which was a massive multi-day citywide event, and um, a Taylor Swift uh, event or or announcement that kind of took the city over at the same time. And elsewhere in the piece, one of the bride-to-be, or a bride-to-be essentially says, I already have to watch football every weekend because of my husband, which is, again, a super bummer. Um, Another thing you'll see around town, and I've heard in several of these videos or some of these videos, is the expression, same penis forever, which is, I guess, a playful celebration of monogamy that just sounds like a literal curse. Anyway, in today's episode, I talked with 
Missy Lindsay and Aaron Hunt, two Metro Nashville public schools teachers um, who speak to their experience on behalf of the sick teachers movement. I have been fascinated with the plight of uh, MNPS teachers around which there have been a number of actions over the past few months, both inside and outside of the classrooms. They talk about that here, about their tenure as teachers and about what being underpaid means to them and to the community. They make a few especially compelling points, the first of which is that you can't help but feel like underpaying teachers feels especially misogynistic when you consider that the profession is largely one in which men are in the minority in the labor force. Second is they detail something I'd already heard from teachers, particularly teachers in schools with significant populations of color, which is that because of the lack of competitive pay and the total lack of reliability around payment generally, there are some school districts that are going into their second straight year in which some classrooms go entirely without science or math teachers. Again, these are full years that these students are missing any education in STEM fields. It's absolutely heartbreaking. They then break down what political actions have been taken and the lack thereof since. Finally, they discuss something many might not know, which is that most, if not all, conversations about elevating teacher pay has done little to address honoring and maintaining step increases, which are incremental increases in pay that were supposedly already in place to maintain some regular increase in wages that makes jobs appealing to those who are career-minded, though aren't necessarily guaranteed in public sector work. So often what looks like a proposed pay increase comes alongside an accompanying decrease by way of not honoring those step increases. Uh, when I went to a social justice forum for at-large counselor candidates last week, um, there's a thing you hear over and over. So in a city that is swimming with tourists and developer cash, it should not be possible for any candidate to say any nonsense shit about there not being enough money to take care of common sense social needs. Like, this is why I opened with this montage at the beginning. Surely there can be a fireball shot tax or a pedal tavern tax or a number of different charges on behalf of the city aimed at getting a few extra dollars off the hundreds of thousands of, folk, uh, thousands of folks who pass through here. Um, there's also such an overwhelming amount of seemingly unchecked development that should absolutely make possible a number of opportunities to generate revenue uh, from and for the city. It seems like the take is we want to do this, but where's the money? Well, if you want to do something, you make the case for wanting it and you pay for it. Proper education costs money and you pay for it now or you pay for the lack thereof down the road by subsidizing increased police force in the prisons where underserved children are more likely to end up. It's not like not paying for something makes the problem go away. Either you pay for teachers in a proper education today or you pay for some form of prison and government subsidy later. Anyway, a handful of things have changed since this interview took place about two weeks ago. Mayor Briley found uh, some money, apparently, and wanted to offer a 6% raise rather than the original 3% his budget proposed. On the surface, it looked better than the original 3%, which had been argued by teachers to be far from sufficient. 
In response, Metro Nashville Education Association President Eric E. Huth issued a statement that points out a number of issues with Briley's proposal, namely that it avoids the issue of step increases, as talked about earlier, and it does not commit to continuing any increases beyond the upcoming school year. The method by which the, quote, plan was developed, who says, smells of political intrigue, and goes on to say, no one should mistake Briley's newest shell game as a magnanimous gesture to support teachers or schools. See it as a vote grab, exclamation point. In a guest column in the Tennessean, Huth, alongside a number of MNPS teachers and parents, endorsed one of Briley's opponents, John Ray Clemens, in the upcoming election. They wrote, quite frankly, Nashvillians are tired of feeling like the leadership of the city cares more about tourism and corporate dollars than they do us. As you can see and hear in this case, this is an ongoing situation. But before we visit with Missy and Aaron, let's switch gears entirely. I asked Jack from Honky Tonk Badonkadonk to read from his essay from the last month's issue of the zine. I love Jack and Sabelle's attitude and perspective in writing so much and so many of the conversations in the show are reflective of what's changed in this town and what that change means. I appreciate this essay in particular because it's about making stuff rather than it is about dwelling, regretting, or fretting. It's about, in many ways, making the scene you hope to see rather than to get caught up in what you believe to be no more. Here's Jack with his essay, Seen It All. When I was in my 20s, a friend said, rockabilly is the only scene you can break into once you're in your 30s. It was funny at the time, but now that I'm in my 30s, it's not so funny. Because as I've gotten older, or maybe just experienced the ebb and flow of different scenes enough times, I've realized how fragile they are. And not just fragile, but difficult to appreciate before it's too late, and you find yourself driving down memory lane gazing wistfully into a cracked rearview mirror, listening to a friend's 2006 screamo band. Maybe it is my age, but I'm only 34. Right around the age Steve Earle was when he got his first record deal, the age Chris Christopherson was when Johnny Cash first cut Sunday Morning Coming Down, and the age Sturgill Simpson was when he busted it out of town a few years back. It's a pretty good age to be a songwriter dude living in Nashville if you let the history books do the talking. But even in Nashville, I find myself longing for the energy and great unknown of the wild-ass scene I grew up in in Las Vegas with desert punk shows, house party brawls, eccentric record store owners, unapproachably cool older musicians, scenesters, remember those, shady show promoters, respected music writers, and a general feeling that there was something bigger than you out there waiting to swallow you up if you were lucky. And I was lucky. It chewed me and swallowed me and spit me out two decades later in Nashville with a dedication to this rock and roll shit that sometimes scares me. But I didn't appreciate what I had then, and I wonder now, do you ever? Last week, I talked to a longtime Nashville rock and roller who said Nashville is a beat scene and it would be cool to move to LA. 
Then, I met a bass player from a popular LA rockabilly band who said he's over LA and he'd love to live somewhere like Nashville. Then, I hung out with a friend from Las Vegas who told me there isn't enough of a scene to support what he does there. Get the point? For better or worse, I dig what we have in Nashville. I see great music all the time, and if there is a single place in the world that should have a thriving music scene, Nashville better be that place. Even New Yorkers claim their city is tapped and flock here. Still, things could be better. How many shows have you gone to out of charity or habit rather than raw excitement? Why don't non-musicians in Nashville seem to go to shows? How come no venues pay a guarantee? How come Lightning 100 sucks and in nearly four years I've never met anyone from the Nashville scene at a show? Has social media desensitized us to the awesome power of live music? Has online dating stripped shows of one of their most important draws, getting laid? Are Nashville musicians fighting a losing battle of trying to impress a doll music industry when they should really be pushing the boundaries of entertainment in other ways? I once saw Charles Castor from the great Hans Condor do a crowd surfing guitar solo across a packed East Room while screaming for the audience to murder each other. Where is that Nashville? Last week, I played a show in Indianapolis with a band from Milwaukee whose singer climaxed with naked somersaults from one end of the filthy dive bar to the other. But people in Nashville are going crazy about this Orville Peck guy passing through town because he ripped off Chris Isaac and wears a fringed Lone Ranger mask. Jesus Christ, is that entertainment? The one thing I know about scenes is that as delicate as they are and as subjective as they are, they don't happen on their own. Like Newtonian physics, you get what you give. Every time someone sets out on tour, or climbs on that rocket ship to superstardom, or goes to bed early, there needs to be someone on the ground like Mission Control keeping things in order. The point of a scene is a scene, country legend Greg Gehring told me when I interviewed him for our January issue. Rising star singer-songwriter Aaron Ray, when I interviewed her for our March issue, said Nashville shows are the most important and very foundational to everything else. Jack White knows how important a scene is too. Think he'd have a record store with local artist releases and a tiny venue if he didn't? So no, I won't go rockabilly. My friend also makes a good point that with all the cars, tattoos, and vintage accessories, it's also the most expensive scene to break into. But I will keep pushing into the void, searching for the scene of all scenes. Maybe we're in it now, maybe we aren't. But one day we'll know for sure and we'll have something to talk about. Thanks, Jack. The July issue of Honky Tonk Padonky Donk, a zine about music, culture, and the various scenes in the city is out now, and you can get it wherever cool stuff is given away around town, um, you know, record shops, coffee shops, bars, etc. If you haven't seen it already, go and do that immediately. It is well, well worth your time. All right, I promise 
We're getting to Missy and Aaron, but first, please consider giving a review if you can and sharing with a friend. We're on Instagram and Twitter at National Demystified. We're on the inopportune system update that is uh, uh, that comes right when you don't want it to come. <laughs> that is Facebook. Uh, if you have any feedback and you want to send that to me directly or ideas for future shows, you can reach me at podcast at knack-factory.com. That's podcast at knack-factory.com. All right, let's get to Missy and Aaron and hear what it's like to be an underfunded teacher and what that means for the city of Nashville. I'm Missy Lindsay, and um, I'm here today because I'm a teacher, and we haven't got a significant raise in many, 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 many years, and uh, so we're just here to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm Erin Hunt, also a teacher in MNPS. Um, I'm here today for, I mean, the same reason, and then just a lot of conversation about how we feel that Metro is not prioritizing our schools and education in the way it should be, especially when we're the thriving city that we are right now. Yeah. And, and so what is this? I mean, I see the, the name sick teachers a lot, like, is there sort of a movement name or what is the, how do you describe groups who are addressing this issue? Well, it kind of started out with a frustration with our union because they weren't actually doing anything about um, the fact that we got paid less this year than we did last year. Hmm. Um, And so uh, we just sort of adopted that name as a Twitter handle and Instagram and Facebook and decided to get the word out about that. Um, And we thought that was the way to do it. So, yeah. I, I I was saying this earlier before we started recording, but you I came upon I'm new to the city as of as of February. Um, oh, wow. Although like I think this is an issue that we see nationally in one mm. way or another. Um, although it seems like the oh, issue yeah. that you're you're the more I hear about what teachers are dealing with in Nashville and how little compensation they've seen, not just year to year, but over a decade it sounds like oh yeah um it sounds like a pretty especially in the face of of the development and the 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 growth of this city it sounds like a very specific uh uh, problem here um i i showed up because there was a march and a a rally that i heard about on the radio and i went down and started talking to teachers and i was really uh taken aback um by sort of like what some of the the outcomes are i talked to one teacher who taught in north nashville and she said she taught at a uh uh, a predominantly black school, and one of the um, one of the rooms I think uh, went went without a fifth grade math teacher for a year and a half because they couldn't lure uh, uh, teachers in with the pay, um, and I was just <laughs> just shocked yeah. by that. So the, the the outcomes of this are not just about you wanting to retain money, you know, it's, right. it's, it has a larger larger spread. So can you talk about that? Well, um, I think that. There's a bigger issue here, and it's an inequity between our lower-income students and our um, students who are affluent and who can afford Mm. to go to private school because I just feel like they're trying to kill it. Um, And, and yeah, I think there's a bigger issue. (laughs) I know that right now in the district there's around 650 openings, teacher openings for next school year. Um, and I think last year there were over 300 openings that were open the entire year, something like that, two to 300. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, I teach, most high school teachers teach 180 students. So 
if you think that that's their there are that many teachers missing that could that's thousands of students without qualified teachers in the classroom for an entire year yeah i'm not sure who you talked to but um my son was in eighth grade last year and he did go the whole year without a math teacher wow Wow. so what kind of situation does that put them in for the next year right you know in a in a subject that builds on itself not that great what kind of kids are we turning out here and you know then then everybody wants to blame the teachers whenever the kids don't have what they need coming out of high school but if the city doesn't offer competitive wages then we're not going to get teachers and it's just going to be a substitute sitting there passing out worksheets mm-hmm. yeah. who doesn't care and <laughs> yeah. i'm going to play the devil's advocate just to, just to yeah. sort of give a little context wasn't there a raise improved in this year's budget was there an increase in this year's budget and and why is that why why does that not do the trick so in the budget that was approved um that briley put forward it gave teachers a three percent raise Mm -hmm. which did not include step increases and so we've gone without consistent step increases for about a decade what's a step increase so step increases if you there's an mnps chart that you find the level of education you have and the years of experience you have, and it says this is what you should make Mm -hmm. teaching at year six, at year seven, at year eight. And so what's been happening is they publish these step increase schedules, but then don't actually follow through with those. So it says that next year I should make this certain amount of money, but that won't happen because of the step increases. And and they do that because, um, you know, in the corporate world, you have an opportunity to move up in your career wherever you are and uh but teaching you're a teacher mm-hmm. unless you want to go into administration which most i mean which some people do but most people probably just want to be a teacher like i sure. really feel like i just need to be a teacher for the rest of my life mm-hmm. um but to keep up with that um that's why they have those salary schedules sure. is because other people can expect to move up in their career but Teachers are just teachers, so. Right. And we, yeah, we know that the cost of living in Nashville has gone up more than 15% in the last three years. Mm. And so for our pay to go up just 3% in that amount of time, it just doesn't add up. Right, right. Teachers right. can't afford to live in the city where they teach. Yeah. I, t- I talked to another teacher at that, at that, uh, that event, and she had, I'm going to try to get this as correct as possible, but I think she was, she had a career in tech until. 10 years ago and then she sort of retired mm-hmm. and wanted but but um, mm-hmm. I think she got teaching certifications she started teaching and she said that in 10 years um, her rent at the same place had nearly doubled um, and that her I think her salary went up overall in the in the past 10 years on average like with adjustments like between 10 uh, excuse me between three and five percent mm-hmm. and she said I'm at a point now where I'm borrowing from my retirement from my previous career as a means of being able to continue to teach. Oh, yeah. Um, And also, when they uh, freeze these salary schedules, they don't just freeze them, but they roll them back. So if I'm making, let's say, 46,000 as a as a 12 year teacher. um, So next year, the salary schedule will say that a 13 year that a 13 year veteran teacher makes the same that I'm making this year. So 46,000. And that does affect our retirement, too. Sure. So you know, as far as averaging what you make throughout your career, it's yeah. kind of And a lot of teachers yeah. are just stuck in a bad position of, we went into this because we have a passion for education, a passion for students, and especially in Metro, a passion for marginalized students who aren't normally prioritized in our communities. And we want to continue doing that, 
-hmm. But like the teacher you described, how do you continue doing that when you're literally not breaking even? Right. Or if you don't have a retire, if you don't have a retirement fund to borrow from to make sure you can. How do you survive? Right. And the joke is kind of like, well, you better marry rich. And that's just right. not and acceptable for a profession. <laughs> right, right, right. You have to I'm telling else. you, as someone who was a single mom until pretty recently, um, you can't do this alone. You can't do this as a single mom. Um, you just can't. So if my take home is $2,600 a month mm-hmm. and I'm paying $800 a month for childcare mm-hmm. and twelve hundred dollars a month for rent. I mean, how are you gonna eat? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I think what I think there's there seems to be something of a of a myth that teachers and I don't know how it started or where where it came from. And I imagine it came from a bit of opposition behind behind you know plans for fair compensation. But sometimes I'll talk to people and I think that they are under the impression teachers make a lot more than they than they make. But when I actually talk to teachers, like. It doesn't yeah. seem to be the case. Mm, no, and and what I was saying earlier is that um, last year we actually made less because our health insurance costs went up. Um, so there, that eats up a raise right there. And who's to say that that couldn't happen right. this year as well? They're saying not, but right. they make a lot of promises, and we don't exactly <laughs> trust everything they say. And, so yeah, I think. That's something that's added to that is a few years ago, they did increase the starting salary for teachers mm-hmm. coming in at like year one, year two, which is good and needs to be done. But it really doesn't help teachers who have been in the profession for 10, 15 years sure. who are trying to make this a lifelong career. Right. So I'm in year 12 of my teaching career. I've gone to countless professional developments. I have experience. I have, you know, tons of knowledge in my field but i only make three thousand dollars more a year than a brand new spanking out of college teacher Mm -hmm. so i don't think that exactly adds um we're we're i guess maybe i mean they're not doing a very good job at recruiting teachers because we don't have any but they're certainly not doing a job good job at keeping the ones that they've got and protecting their investment, which I would think they would be interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Nashville's probably spent a lot of money on me going to professional developments and um, Mm -hmm. doing all those things to make me a better teacher. But, you know, if they can't keep me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We lost an entire science department two years ago um, because it was there was a husband and wife. There was a couple of other younger people who could go where there was more money and uh, the husband and wife had a set of twins you can't put twins in daycare on mm-hmm. what a Nashville teacher right. <laughs> on two Nashville teacher salaries right. so right. Um, they all just went where there was better opportunities and child care and you know and I don't know it, it especially bothers me that it is a predominantly um, it's a career that's predominantly dominated by women. Mm-hmm. And so it feels kind of personal when Metro decides to provide uh, maternity leave for all of its employees except teachers. Right. So, right. you know. The, the, my, my mother asked this question. She works in, in school administrations in Connecticut, and she asked this question totally earnestly. And I thought mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, it was interesting hearing sort of what your experience was at the front end with feeling like the union wasn't doing anything. So my mom was like, why, 
why state by state do unions do do teachers unions in particular represent the teachers differently? Because in Connecticut, it feels like the teachers union is like one of the strongest things mm-hmm. in state politics. You well, know, Connecticut's they, probably not a right to work state. So okay, let's touch on that. Like, what <laughs> what does that mean um, in this context? Oh, that means that we're not allowed to strike. Right. So, right. I mean, that's basically. We can lose our teacher's license for striking. Mm. And so you have your hands, you as teachers have your hands tied mm-hmm. behind your backs with regard to what you can do. You can only appeal to, you know, people's. There's only, so I know that Red for Ed is another group working in um, teacher advocacy, trying to get more pay, better working situations. And they started walk-ins this school mm. year where they encouraged um, staff and students and parents to meet in front of the school wearing red with signs saying, you know, fully fund MNPS, you know, support our district, and then would walk into work. And so um, that's pretty much what you can do without risking getting in trouble or losing your license. And even some principals weren't very pushback on that. that. So, I mean... Like we, you why can't are walk you protesting? I mean, why are you pushing back against teachers showing up thirty minutes early for work? Right, that's just uh, bizarre to me. But also, as bizarre to me as like our form of protest is to show up thirty minutes early for work. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So I don't get that, and I think a lot of people in the sick teachers movement didn't get it either. Yeah. And so one of our other options was call in sick, um, but can't miss more than three days without them asking for a doctor's note mm-hmm. uh which a lot of us had um i think the free mps clinics were or it's not just mps it's the three free metro clinics were pretty much flooded with teachers right. those couple of days <laughs> just being like <laughs> yeah. i am got Ill. a little scratch here <laughs> yeah. um but uh but yeah nobody's gonna listen to you for walking in and when uh We've had discussions with the Red for Ed people. They're like, well, I don't, I just don't know if we're ready for uh, walking out because there hasn't been very many people walking in. I'm like, well, yeah. nobody wants to come to work 30 minutes early. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's not to say anything bad about what they're trying to do. They're trying to raise awareness, which is good. But sure. what, what have you heard back from? From people with with whom the, the campaign has resonated, or with whom your the the issues you're dealing with has resonated. Like, do you? I know that you have an active social media campaign. Like, there it seems to be like people. There are some people who are listening. You have an audience. Yeah. Like, what are you hearing from from people? So we're really starting to hear, and it's encouraging to hear people make the connection between um, our local elected officials and public education. I think that for too long we've kind of ignored what's going on on city council with the mayor. Um, with other elected officials, and we're starting to really realize that we have to hold these people accountable. So we've had a lot of people reaching out about, okay, so I'm going to send this email to this person. What can I say? Or mm-hmm. how, can you help me locate my council member? Who is this person? So people who have lived in Nashville their whole lives and never really bothered or had the need to get in touch with a council member are doing that now. And so that's encouraging. Um, I hope that our elected officials are realizing that tides are turning, that we're no longer just going to continue on about our jobs and ignore what they're doing, that we're going to start holding them accountable. Um, So I think that's been encouraging. Which shouldn't also be added to our list of duties, but... (laughs) Like public political education. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. Uh, um, But it's been encouraging. That part has been encouraging. What's been discouraging is that several of the council members that we actually have talked to 
um, voted against a tax increase so that we could have the um, revenue that we need yeah. to get the uh, the pay increase where it should be so that we can attract and retain good teachers in Metro. Sure, and I'll, I'll share that list of people at the, in the introduction okay. just so yeah. people know well, I wasn't going to like blast anybody. Oh, no, I, I will. <laughs> I will. Um, <laughs> With me. <laughs> I will. They can they can write it off as I'm I'm, I'm a new guy, but uh, <laughs> but 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 uh, I I was paying close attention to who was yeah. to who was voting and and uh, I was. I, I, let's talk a bit about sort of what was proposed and what the the outcome was, and then it sounds like there may be another option. So Maybe. let's let's walk through what <laughs> let's so, walk through what, what what was on the table and what happened. So the board of education proposed a budget that increased. Um, Increased the school budget by, it was around 70 million, 76.7 million is the number that comes to mind. That could be a little off. Um, And they took that to the city council, which needs to approve the Board of Education's budget. Um, The mayor said that that wasn't going to be possible. So a few council members, Mendez and Versher, um, put together their, and Davis, yeah, put together their own, um, their own budget proposal. So... Mendez and Vershers is the one that we were really counting on that lost by one vote. And so that would have increased property tax rates for Nashville mm-hmm. um, to fully fund the schools. That would have allowed us to have um, step increases put back in place as long as well as a cost of living raise. Um, and like we said, it, it needed 21 votes and it got 20. Mm-hmm. So that was very disappointing and discouraging, especially when um, Jeff Syracuse is my council member and I had emails from him saying that, he would fully support mm-hmm. fully funding MNPS and that he was behind the teachers. And then when it comes down to it, he did not vote that way. Sure. Um, yeah. And I had talks with him. He was at a local coffee, coffee shop in Donaldson and he seemed very sympathetic to what we were saying. And he listened to all the numbers. And so he cannot say that he wasn't fully aware mm-hmm. of every hardship that we're facing, but still decided to vote. No. And people are nervous. Council members are nervous about voting for a property tax increase and upsetting their constituents. And I understand that. But if you look at the data, if you look at the numbers, property tax increase just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we've been told it will definitely happen next year. It's coming. We just don't want to upset voters this year. So we're like, well, that's just cowardly. Right. We know this is what needs to happen for our city. Well, and, and, and often, I mean, people will offset the appearance of a saving savings today for what right. will cost an incredible amount More of money next, tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about just right. how many students aren't are going through an entire eighth grade year not seeing a math teacher, yeah. the, the repercussions <laughs> of that financially down the road are right. incredible. But the the council member, their belief is they don't have to be accountable for it today. Right. You know, I hope it's not too bad because it's my son that well, doesn't have a math teacher. <laughs> well, virtually as a teacher for for uh, a mom, but the um and and so it it lost by. By one, one vote. vote. Yeah. And so where are things now? Like, what's the what's the next step? So there's been talk that the Board of Education is going to kind of bypass the mayor and the council and try to put a property tax increase to the public for the vote um, on August 1st. Um, they've also, the Board of Education right now is going back, they always say going back to the drawing board, which... <laughs> We'd love to see mm. that board. <laughs> um, and discuss how they can find... Um, I, th- I think it's eighty million, eight million. 
Uh, it would have to be eight. <laughs> not eight million. Eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not great at numbers. I'm an English teacher. <laughs> eight million dollars to um, how they can cut it from other places in the budget to put the step increases in place. Sure. So they're working on that now. There's talk of it going for vote in August, mm-hmm. but we're kind of out of standstill. Yeah, there's not a there's not a conc- there's not a path you can see. There's a couple paths that are coming potentially right. coming together. Yeah, yeah potentially. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Our hopes are not. High. We're very cynical. <laughs> yeah. Maybe cynical sick teachers should be our yeah. hashtag. Sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what what I mean what is your what do you tell people like what what do you tell people um, um, who are looking in on this like what would you like people to like walk away thinking or knowing or feeling. Uh, they're going to have a um, property tax increase, whether it's now or whether it's six months from now. So why not do it now whenever you could have the guarantee that it's going to be used to fund our education? Right. Yeah. I would also like to remind people that education is tied to a lot of these systemic issues that we constantly complain about in Nashville. So we've seen crime go up, especially youth crime. Well, that's tied to our schools not being fully funded. That's tied to not being able to provide these children with quality teachers. So same with affordable housing and all of these things that we're constantly discussing. The root of these things is education. And so until we fix our schools, we're not going to be able to fix our criminal justice system and a lot of other systemic problems that we see as a growing city. Yeah. And what, what would you say just about you? I mean, I know that you're not asking to be you're not asking to be affluent, right? right. You're asking to be <laughs> you're asking to be fairly compensated. That ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, just just like what is you know? I mean, I guess how does it feel to to be? I, I assume I know the answer, but like, how does it feel to to just be rejected financially? Just even to be fairly compensated. Like, what is the feeling that comes with that on top of all the other things you have to do? I mean, I went to school for four years. I passed tests. I did all the things that I was supposed to do to be in this profession, and it just feels, I don't know, I just feel disrespected as a teacher and as a woman because, like I was saying, mm-hmm. like we have a female-dominated profession. Um, and, I mean, yeah, the bigger issue is country is the whole country. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, in Nashville, I would like to be appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> and enough so that I could feed my family and not have to be counting pennies, you know, mm. to go get them something from McDonald's or sure. whatever, but um but yeah, that would be nice for them to for us to have the things we need and not have to be like Nashville and put some things off for the future instead of getting it now when it's going to cost more later on so right yeah i think um i was born and raised in nashville this is my home i have no intentions of leaving um i feel very passionately about nashville i love this city love the people in it so it felt very personal to me to be voted it felt like i was being voted against that people did not take us seriously and did not think that we were for real and i think that comes down to that it is a predominantly woman um female profession I think that it comes down to just a lack of focus on education as a whole in the South uh, and the whole country really right now. Mm. But And also that we're not seen as professionals. We're seen as people who go and, and play with kids, babysit kids for eight hours a day. And it's so much more than that. And like she said, we have... We have a lot of experience. We have multiple multiple degrees. I'm almost finished with my doctorate. 
and to still be struggling just to have basic needs met is ridiculous. And I, I do receive job offers. I think a lot of us receive job offers from other companies, other positions. We know that we could go somewhere and double our salary, mm-hmm. but we want to be in the schools because that's what we're passionate about. But the city's making it very difficult to stay. Right. Right. And I know, I mean, I know from teachers I've talked to here and teachers I talked to in Maine when I was there, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, teachers, I know teachers are not just sort of purveyors of a curriculum. They're taking care, taking care of children. I know a lot of, there are like homeless kids in school. People don't realize that, that, yeah. you know, that people are, are helping oh provide gosh. for. There are, there are so many different, and te- the, the, the now sort of an increasing threat of like violence towards school. It's right. it, teachers deal with a lot. I appreciate you, and I'm 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 grateful that you came on to the show and, and talked about this. So I hope that we get more people on board. Well, thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Nashville Demystified. Thanks to Jesse LaFontaine for all things related to sound post-production. He put in some extra work this week on the sound collage. Hey, each episode has a show-specific illustration provided by my longtime friend Tim Burns. They are pretty great. So check out the site to see them. Follow us on all of the places. Subscribe and do all that. It really does help us. Thanks again for everything. Nashville Demystified is presented by Knack Factory, and we own this town.